Hello, everyone. This is Heartstock Radio, and I'm Carol Murphy, your host. Clark Grant is in the studio today. We have a great guest that's going to be coming up, and I'm going to introduce her in just a moment. But first, I would like to remind everyone that we are on Facebook. You can find our upcoming guests there, as well as some of our previously recorded programs. You can also hear our programs at butteamericaradio.org. And uh, you can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. But most importantly, in just a moment... Daphne Amory is going to be with us and tell us all about what she is up to at Daphne Amory Consulting. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today, our guest is Daphne Amory. And she is a consultant working in a field of regenerative agriculture. Hi, Daphne. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for being on Heartstock and sharing your story with our listeners. Can you please tell our listeners and myself also just a little bit about your consulting business and what it is that you are so passionate about. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for um, for the opportunity to to speak with you and, and share that passion. So my consulting business is I work with, with individual businesses to help them shift their practices into really understanding more about the consequences of their actions. We call it it's regenerative agriculture or regenerative biodynamic agriculture, depending on, on what we choose to work with. Um, but it's really helping people to understand the whole of what they're doing and to help them frame the questions around the actions that they take and in the relationship of the work that they're doing on the land and through their business practices. So just be more aware, it sounds like, is the place where you start? And what's the end point? What is it that you're hoping to achieve when you work with farmers and people working in ag business? Each end point is different depending on who we're working with or who I'm working with. Ultimately, it's it's to develop a strong relationship with with the landscape that one's working with in the in the um, biosphere that they're in and to create a a holistic environment where there are very few inputs that are coming from the outside and it's really self-supporting in and of itself. And that doesn't just mean the land, but it also means the humans that are interacting in that, the animals, the you know, the soils, everything. So it, it's the it's the concept of of holistic land management and practices. How did you get involved in this area? And I, I know that you're speaking to us from the Napa Valley, and I'm wondering if that was always your home. No, no. I, I grew up in uh, Colorado. I grew up in the ranching community. Um, my parents had a, a quite a large cattle ranch, uh, cast cow operation. And so I grew up in the mountains, um, 
not a lot of people around and spent a lot of time outdoors. And then over the years, as, as I matured and uh, moved away from Colorado, I kept finding the work that I was doing was coming back to that integral question of, of how am I interacting? What is the story that, that's happening here? And what's the narrative that's being developed? And how, how much am I affecting that? And how much am I being affected by what's around me in that, in that story and in that capacity? Um, through that, I, I ended up falling in love with wine, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I was living in Vermont and working with a distribution company there. I began to study the culture and uh, worked with some wineries here in the Napa Valley, kind of off and on for a while while still living in Vermont, and eventually moved into marketing and sales of wine, which took me to Europe, and I met some incredible producers there. And there was something that, that struck me as I would taste through wines in, in cellars, and what it was was some of them had a capacity it was living. It was vital. I could really sense it. I could feel it. And when I walked in the vineyards with, with these vintners, that was there as well. There was a certain vitality. And I kept thinking, what's different about this versus the person next door or, or another, another wine grower that I had been um, speaking with earlier in the week? And what it always came down to was were the practices that they were doing, the holistic practices, or at that time, it was biodynamic. And so that led me down that path of following and studying biodynamics to understand it, to try to understand it better. And from there, it just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I was making wine with a, a wine company here in the, in the Sonoma Valley. And then into vineyard management, the management company, and from there into my own practices. Mm-hmm. That's long. So it's a short story, long version. <laughs> how many years did this journey kind of pass over? How, how many years since you first kind of had what sounded like an aha moment? Yeah, the aha moment was about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been a process. I have so many questions, but I think the first place we should start is the difference between biodynamic and regenerative agricultural practices. This came up in another conversation that we had earlier with another guest. So I'm hoping that you can kind of clear this up for all of us. Yeah, I'll do my best. So I'll start with with the concept of regenerative, regenerative is continually replenishing. So it, it's something that, that feeds itself and grows upon itself. When we think about biodynamics, regenerative is deeply embedded in the principles and philosophies of biodynamics, which is that it's a self-sustaining organism. It's an organism that continually feeds itself and nurtures itself. So if we think of a farm, farm organism as an organism, and we think about everything that's connected in that. So you've got the, the soil, what's happening in the soils. You have what's growing above the soils, you know, what's above as below. And then you think of the interactions and the relationships that are happening on that farm. Again, not just at the microbial level, but at the human level, at the, at the animal level, and then in the regional level, in the watershed, et cetera, et cetera, you know, continues out. And so it's, it's a constant recognition of 
of connection, that everything is interconnected. And so regenerative, you can't separate the work or the practices from the environment in which one has landed. In biodynamics, one starts with the premise that you're already connected. And so what do we do as humans not to control, but to help bring forth that which is best? that which is going to support the whole. And then it's the practices that we use that give it a label or a name. And have you seen this approach changing over time? I would imagine that this is something that's growing. I mean, even just from a consumer demand standpoint, how is demand changing within, you know, even the wine industry? Are there more and more farmers that are realizing this is the way to go? Oh, yes. Yes, they are. And it's not, you know, so much of it at times can be market driven. It can be driven by the financial picture of what one is spending in order to produce. So when you commoditize that and and it begins to, it doesn't pencil out after a time because the more one puts into the lands as far as uh, inputs, herbicides, pesticides, fertilization, et cetera, et cetera. It's not balancing what's coming out. And it becomes more and more cost prohibitive to do that. Um, then there's also the other side of it is we're living in such a fragile environment now that we're all beginning to recognize at all levels the scarcity of water, the depletion of our mineral resources. And the climate that we're living in today, and if we're to farm, which is to feed ourselves, if we're to feed the human population as well as and support the ability to do that, then that recognition is is, chain, is coming forth that we have to change how we interact with the land and how we understand that that relationship. With the land. So yes, I am seeing it, especially in the wine world where, again, I'll go back to the commoditization of it, where it's wine has um, a certain price point to it. And so when you begin to spend a heck of a lot more to produce that bottle of wine than one's able to command in the marketplace, changes begin to, sh- to happen. And we were speaking just a little earlier about some of the impacts that California is experiencing with um, fires every year. And uh, climate change is certainly impacting agriculture in a big way. Maybe you could talk just a little bit more about what you've seen over time uh, with water supply and fires and impacts to ag and how your approach might, might have a positive impact. So over time, it's such a big question. It is. It is. Well, let's just it, 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 let's it's, just kind of start out concept. with what you've seen. I mean, you've been in the Napa Valley for a while now, and you've seen the impacts that fire and drought has had. Maybe you can just talk about that a little bit, and yeah, and then we'll go from there. All right. So starting on a smaller scale here in Napa, as the vineyards have moved up the hillsides and have have taken over more of the land, of the agricultural land here, it's depleted the water table. 
um, the depletion of the water table through the irrigation systems that are being used, as they remove the oak trees, as they remove the, the natural elements that are here, it takes it out of balance. So there's the capacity to draw water down is eliminated or, or diminished, and the ability to to hold the soils, to hold the minerality and the and the fertility of the soils is also diminished as as the soils are worked more and more and more. Um, so as I as I live here, and it's amazing to see in the summer times or the spring, summer, and fall with the amount of tractor work that happens in the vineyards to just watch literally see the clouds of soil moving upward into the atmosphere and to see how it's broken down and broken down. And and so then basically the the work that's happening, the type of farming work that's happening in general, in general, um, has been, it's out of balance in the sense that it's taking more than it's bringing in. And the more we deplete something, the more fragile it becomes. In that depletion, we're breaking that cycle. We're breaking the cycle that allows for for the elements of earth, air, water, and fire to counterbalance each other. So as as I as I work when I when I work in, in vineyards in particular, it's always about how are we drawing moisture down, how are we drawing things down into the soil so that we can begin to balance that back up so that the plants are able to take what they want, know what they're doing, and I'm not having to give it to them. Because if I'm having to give it to them and dictate that in some form, then what I'm doing is I'm removing it from somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's a system. It's just like any other biological system. There's There are inputs and there are outputs. And mm-hmm. we can't we can't change what the plants need, um, but we can manage and change um, the way that nature provides by not yeah, depleting beyond what it's capable of giving. There's an inherent intelligence in the natural environment of which we forget. We are part of that environment. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are a reciprocal partner in that. Um, again, it's that relationship that we continue to, I think, we as humans continue to to forget. Um, and so when we, yeah, when we disrupt that natural cycle by trying to to control it too much or or to go for a specific output, especially. I'll go back to vineyards to use as an example, especially in, in the vineyard world where where it's a monocrop. You know, we're looking at at hundreds and hundreds of acres of vines um, with very little else growing. And that's disruptive in itself. The vine, you know, they plants require they, they have a relational value as well and they require biodiversity within their own species, within their own landscape in order to thrive because we, we know that what's happening underneath and above, again, in the soil as well as above, is they're communicating, they're sharing, they're continually sharing nutrients, they're sharing um, information, they're sharing sources. So the more we can build that in, then the stronger the system is, the more we deplete that, 
the weaker the system is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so taking more a a biological and living approach as opposed to a a factory. Absolutely. (laughs) It's not just a great factory. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take our quick midpoint break here in just a moment. We will be back with Daphne Amory and learn more about this system and um, how it's different. Yeah, Uh, just exactly how does this work? Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock. Stock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest is Daphne Amory. Hi again, Daphne. Hi, Carol. So, we were just talking about um, a, a non-factory approach to agriculture, and in your case, this is more specifically related to vineyards and the wine industry. I think it would be really helpful if you could kind of give us a from start to finish approach, I know it's different with every farm, but what are the key elements that need to be integrated into a vineyard in order to make it more regenerative and biodynamic? You know, if we're going from something that, like what you were telling us about before, that experience where, hmm, something's just missing here. You know, I, I know nothing about uh, biodynamics or regenerative ag, but I'm a wine grower. I own a vineyard. What do I need to do to do better? Well, we first start with a conversation. We start with with um, what if I was working with you, and I would ask you, so what are you sensing here? What what feels what's working and what's not working? And we start with that. So we just start with the flat out basic approach of what's working and what's not working. Um, oftentimes, from from there, that leads to to a reframing of how how we want to farm. Um, is it towards longevity of the vines? Do we want to keep those vines in the ground? It often comes down straight down to the financials. We want to be able to keep the vines in the ground growing and producing for as long as they can. So we're looking 60, 70, 80, 90 years out. It becomes a discussion around successive farming. How, how am I bringing this into the future for the next generation? And that may be the next generation of vines. It may be the next generation of humans. From there, we begin to to question the disease pressures or any any kind of pressures that are happening, and come at it from a question. It's it's a reframing of the container, basically. So I, we ask the question of what's out of balance, or is anything out of balance? If I look at the four elements of earth, air, water, and fire, which are the elements that we all live in. So are my soils, if I'm thinking about earth, uh, how are my soils? How strong are they? How healthy are they? Um, What does that look like? What's my water source like? Is it too damp in the vineyard? Do I need to open it up to allow for more air to come in? Because if it's too damp, I may be needing to use more chemicals to 
more sulfur as such to uh, relieve the dampness, to relieve the mildew pressures. So we begin to look at what's happening in that dynamic so that we can understand what we can draw away from and what we need to support. So again, it's, it's always about balance, you know, it's that, that balance that we play. Um, and what's the healthiness, what's the healthy structures that we're looking to support so that eventually the vineyard is a part of an, an engagement with and with the environment around it rather than something separate from. And what are the typical changes that growers need to make? Are we talking no-till, um, introducing organic fertilizers? What are yeah, some of the right things? Off, right off the bat, right off the bat, we start working with, with different composts, with different types of cover croppings, looking at, again, building the health of the soil so that the plants, the vines, again, if we just stay with the metaphor of the vineyard, so that the vines have the ability to, to find what they want, to mine what they need. So we're building that strong interconnectivity in the soil, and we started right away with, with looking at, at the fertility measures, which oftentimes will be composting. It'll be different root structures, so different types of, of um, grasses and plant, plant life in the vineyard that will continue to build that structure into the soil. Uh, from there, we look at different pruning practices that may be needed to open up the vineyard again uh, for for more light flow air quality, um, which can mitigate disease pressures. It may be on the outskirts of the vineyard. We may need to look at what's happening out there to see, again, are we allowing for or um, creating an environment on the edges of the vineyard that are actually creating more disease pressures in, in the interior of the vineyard. So again, what's the connection between does it move through and flow? The other thing oftentimes that, that happens is an integration of animals. That can happen um, for if, if, the, if it can support, if the vineyard can support that. Because, again, the animals bring in many other qualities that can help with those basic pressures that we're speaking of, which are disease or, or fertility pressures. Yeah, you know, it's always an ongoing conversation because when, when you begin to work with one thing, then you see what's happening with the other. Mm-hmm. And so as, I'm, as we're maybe uh, moving away from, from less tillage and you know, less disking in the soil, less disruption of the soil and creating a stronger biome down there, then what we find is that there's less irrigation needs. So we can, we can start to work. There's more water capacity in the soil. And so then, then the irrigation pressures are, are, are the irrigation is decreased. And then from the irrigation, we begin to see that the shape of the vine over the next few years begins to change because it's not growing in this wild, you know, let me go thing because it's being fed everything. So it's literally begins to find its own shape again. And so that changes how we prune, that changes how we're moving in the vineyard. It's always a dialogue, Carol. It's never a set practice. And this is, this is what's so fascinating that when we begin to enter into it again as a living being, a living organism that we're engaged with, 
and we take the time to ask the questions of why is this happening? Why do I have this? Why why are the vines held over here and not over here? Why do I have a heavier crop load here and not over there? Why do I have strong insect pressures over here and not over here? And begin to work with that, and it takes time. As a consumer, help me understand, is regenerative better than biodynamic or biodynamic more preferable? Like if a, if a vineyard and a winery is using this in their promotional materials, help me understand what it all means as a consumer. So regenerative, again, regenerative is embedded in the practices or in the philosophies of biodynamics. Biodynamics is looking at whole systems. It's understanding whole systems, uh, whole system farming. Uh, what does that What does that integrate? Looking at, again, from animal welfare to social responsibility, social equity. Now I'm talking actually about certification, the Demeter certification, which is the the international certification for biodynamic practices um, looks at whole system management and that is an incorporation of again animal welfare um, social responsibility and then the practices of less water less being able to to uh, rotate crops strong biodiversity within the vineyard or within the farm as well as on the outskirts of the farm, there has to be a minimum of of 10% biodiversity included in the farmscape itself. When I speak about regenerative practices, hopefully all of that is also being incorporated in that. So regenerative is looking at whole system management. Now what the differences are are the tools that one uses. So when we speak to organic or regenerative or biodynamic, if it can be encompassed as a whole living system, then we're not speak, we're not we're apples to apples. Where it begins to shift are the practices that one chooses to use in that system. So in organic, there's very clear set of practices that are or tools that are used for that as far as what I can use for disease, what I can use for fertility, et cetera, et cetera. In biodynamics, the same there the door's wide open as long as I'm looking at it within this this holistic system. Um, but it's not using insecticides, herbicides, pesticides, etc. It's not using any chemicalized fertilizer. Everything is coming from from that environment. Regenerative can encompass all of that. But it's a practice, what it, what it means is a practice that's looking at a whole system and then the tools that are used is, are what begin to define it. Does that make sense? Yes, it, there's a lot of overlap there. And it, it really is, it sounds like two systems that are really searching for the same endpoint or working towards the same endpoint. Absolutely, absolutely. We're, we're all... The systems are, and again, we get we can get caught up in the semantics and the language of, well, are you farming regeneratively or are you farming organically or are you farming biodynamically? When again, we're all moving towards that same endpoint, mm-hmm. and and when we can support each other in this work, then we'll get there sooner. 
rather than that. Uh, I'm sorry, you're regenerative. You're bad enough. You know, it's, it's, we're all moving to the same place, and how we get there and how we do it, if we can come together around the table, recognizing that that it's it's for that same end goal. So. We've got maybe about a half a minute, and I'm hoping um, that you can share with our listeners how they might reach you and carry on this conversation, because we have so much more that we can can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like we've just begun. Yes. There's, there is a tremendous amount. Uh, yeah, I do have a website, um, DaphneAmory.com, so it's just my name, .com. There are also other ways. Yeah, that's the easiest way, DaphneAmory.com. And do you see all of us um, in the egg world eventually taking up regenerative, biodynamic approach to agriculture? Is this the wave of the future? Uh, yes. Yes. And I also, it, it has to be if, if we are to move forward in any way to move the dial and again to that question of um, it's more about a a change of consciousness a shift of consciousness and in that shift of consciousness then the practices become self-evident in what they need to do so really that's what all of this is Mm -hmm. once we can shift the consciousness of how we relate and interact in our practices in our farms done and in our environment then it becomes pretty clear thank you so much i really appreciate it daphne and um wish everyone down there in in the napa valley some wet weather ahead (laughs) oh thank you we need it (laughs) yes and uh, this is heartstock we shall see you again next week thanks for listening i'm carol murphy Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. As I went saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, no trespassing, but on